Book Stew viewers and listeners. I'm so pleased to welcome from my Skype home today um, my guest, Alexandra Hall, who is a food writer. I don't really know what a food writer does or is, except that I have two of her cookbooks here, but I don't think that's all there is to her. So, um, Alex, and Alex, welcome. Uh, please you. tell us how you became a food writer. You are Bookstew's first food writer, so congratulations. Well, that is well, quite an honor. Thank you. Um, you know, it's funny you bring that up because the, the word food writer has changed so much over the decades. I think 30 years ago when I started doing this, it meant you just wrote cookbooks or you were a food journalist or maybe you were a restaurant reviewer. But these days it could mean you're a blogger. It could mean you're a food influencer. I am neither of those two. I am, I, I write about food. Um, I'm also a, a chef um and i do i do write cookbooks with with chefs and i um i write about the chefs who make you know who, who run the restaurants as well so you started out so you went to le cordon bleu in paris hope i said it right sure did was that was that like a childhood ambition how did you even end up doing that um, in a very roundabout way. So um, I actually went to Wheaton College undergrad and um, I double majored in philosophy of religion and English literature. Oh, um, that, well, that screams chef right off the right? bat. <laughs> <laughs> but I promise you there's a connection. So um, I, I wrote my thesis while there on um, literature on T.S. Eliot and, and religion and philosophy in T.S. Eliot's poetry. Um, I ended up, and I have to back up for a second and say, long before any of this, I have um, a wonderful stepmother who um, raised me to, introducing me to all of these foods that really weren't known back uh, in much in America, back in the, the 80s, um, when, you know, the height of, you know, haute cuisine was the Silver Palette cookbook and, um, which I still love, but um, she was just bringing all these incredible foods throughout my childhood, you know, in her work. She was, she's a distributor of specialty foods to America. So I had that, um, I had that in my mind the whole time I was away at college, you know, eating in the dorms and wanting to, to eat the food that, you know, the kinds of really interesting adventurous foods that I've been eating growing up. And then I went to Ireland to continue studying um, continuing my thesis work in my junior year. So I went to University College Galway and I really have to credit Ireland and how bad the food was there. That's what I was going to say. Certainly not an area known <laughs> for its cuisine. No, Why no. is their food so bad? Do you have any idea? Well, I can only tell you it made me so desperate that I started cooking for myself. And I was there, you know, we had a, we had a flat in our dorm. I had four other flatmates and um, everything was, you just go into restaurants, everything was boiled or fried and they have the most beautiful produce and ruining it, you know, with boiling and frying it into oblivion. So I just went and I got myself an Italian cookbook and a French cookbook. And I started, I used the flat kitchen to start just really teaching myself you know, to, to get back to some of those like bolder flavors that I grew up with. And, 
um, I started feeding my flatmates and I realized I loved that, that ritual of making them dinner every night and teaching them how to cook and sharing it with them. Did they at least do the dishes? I hope, I they hope, did I hope. Some of them, some of them. A lot of them were from just from the area in farms nearby. So like they're, I think a lot of their moms had just been like, we'll do it all. So there was some education there was there, but um, they were most, they were just great people. And so I came back to America after that. And at that point, like food was really starting to get much better in America after that. You know, I mean, it, I came back to Boston um, and there were, really impressive restaurants that weren't there, you know, when I, when I first went to college and I started thinking of more along the lines of, you know, instead of, okay, I'm going to go to graduate school and teach, um, literature and philosophy of religion. I, I thought maybe I want to be a food writer, whatever that meant at the time. And I also had, um, it started working. Um, I was on my school newspaper at Wheaton and I, I managed to start working with the New York Times as a freelancer. Wait, um, wait, wait. Most people don't just manage to end up working for the New York Times. That there has to be a little at least a little story about how that came about. I was so my um I told you about my stepmom and my mom um had written for them a little bit. She introduced me to their book review editor, their Sunday New York Times book review editor. And he said, you know, I'm actually looking for somebody to do part-time um, book reviews for their in short section. And I need somebody who knows a little bit about religion and philosophy of religion. So over the next two decades, as I was doing all this other stuff, um, I wrote about, I'd say about 30 to 40 book reviews for the in short section. Um, mostly religion and, you know, philosophy, religion, but sometimes overlapping with things like food. So, um, wait, wait, how, how, in <laughs> what cases does philosophy of religion intersect with food? So there were a couple of books. I, sh I wish I had them um, right near me, but there were some that talked about how food nourishes the soul in the same way that religion nourishes the soul. There were some, um, books that would talk about the religion, the, the ritual aspect of uh -huh. uh, both eating and, you know, and, and also the, the food angle within religions and what the significance of those culinary traditions are to, to different religious pathways. So that actually sounds kind of fascinating. So I know you said it's your ultimate ambition to be able to write your own would it be a cookbook or would you include any of those philosophy of religion ideas? I think that sounds like a really uh, excellent meshing. Well, I mean, so it is my, you know what it is my ultimate goal to do is to find the time to do my <laughs> own because I love doing these cookbooks with these wonderful chefs and writing about, um, you know, what people are doing culturally with food all over America and especially in Maine where I live. Um, but I would love to do my own. And they're, they're, one of them is exactly what you're describing. Um, you know, the idea that, um, that what we put in our bodies is, is sort of a philosophical decision. And it, that it is, um, it's one of the most fundamental but joyful things that we do and practical, right? We have to do it three times a day, things that we do as human beings. And that um, it really um, 
and I, it would be part cookbook. I think it has to be. Um, that, also, that sounds um, amazing. I'm just trying to picture you being notified by the New York Times Sunday book review section that they're reviewing your book <laughs> after all that time you spent with them. That's I can we can only hope for that. So um, let's go back to the chefs. Yes. Because yes. so you were so so while you were we went back to school, you were um, you were working with the Times, which is certainly an incredible freelance gig. Did that open doors for you? And did you graduate and, and then decide to like start working with cookbook authors? Then what was the progression? Okay, so um, back to, to Ireland for a second, I, you know, and, and all of the sort of eureka moments that I had there about what I was interested in. Got back to, to Wheaton, graduated, finished my honors thesis um, that had nothing to do with food, um, <laughs> and then decided instead of pursuing religion and literature and philosophy of religion and literature um, and becoming a professor that I would take what I'd learned in um, my, you know, my, everything I'd learned in my literature classes and everything I'd learned in, from journalism and turn that into becoming a food journalist. And at the time, you know, there were some really wonderful food, you know, writers at the New York Times and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, even at the Boston Globe where I ended up working many, many years later, like Cheryl Julian, um, fantastic people out there, but the majority I would say of people who were writing about food either knew about food, but weren't great writers or were great writers, but didn't know much about food. Uh, 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 so, so I stop you right there because there were also a lot more food magazines, right? I mean, they're gone now, gourmet, yeah. um, and that and that ilk, which is I, Best I'm a magazine reader, you know. And I had uh, I don't know if someone gave me their leftover gourmet magazines after they finished them, and I'm an eater. I'm not a cook, but That's I always good. thought it made fascinating reading. It was yeah. just a delight to read. Yeah. Okay, so that was, were you nervous when you made that decision? I mean, um, academia would have been a clear path, right? But you completely yeah. swiveled. Yeah, yeah, I, it was a risk, um, but I was young and I felt like I'm a, I am was a risk taker. And, and I also thought I, I wanna go to Paris and learn how to cook there. Ah. Uh, and so I applied to Le Cordon Bleu. I, I, you know, went there. I was in Paris for a little under a year, um, got my degree there. And I was also still freelancing for the Times, you know, at that point. Um, so I had a little bit of money coming in, but I was basically pretty poor. But we got to eat everything that we cooked. So we brought it all home and my boyfriend ate pretty well that that whole year. So um, when you were at Le Cordon Bleu, did you um, specialize in anything? Did they have like career paths like baking? And they mains did, yeah. and yep. stuff they like that. A, they had a special degree in pastry uh, that I did not do. I took the the general. Um, I I have my um, my degree up on my wall, but it's uh, it's just basically general cooking. So you get a little bit of pastry. They teach you about wine. They teach you they teach you about sauces more than anything. And what was funny was as wonderful as an experience as I had there. 
when I did graduate, um, and yes, you could also do, if you wanted to be a chef after that, a lot of the, the other people who were in my classes would go on and do a stage, which I did not do. I came back to America after that. Um, cause I want to start, I went there knowing I wanted to be a food writer. Most people went wanting to be chefs. So was anyone in your class following the same path or were you the only one? I was the only one. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Not a lot of, of journalists were going to, I, I think a lot of journalists went to journalism school, which I did not do. Um, but I, I sort of felt like I got my training in that, you know, just on the ground, just through a lot of freelancing. And um, as soon as I got back to Boston, I started writing about food and I, that was as risky as it is. And, and I think you are, I guess I'm lucky I didn't think about how risky it was at the time, but I came back and um, things were really exploding here. You know, I, again, even more restaurants in Boston and New York and San Francisco was on fire with great restaurants. Um, and I got a job working for Microsoft of all places, which <laughs> I know this seems like a little counterintuitive too, but they were breaking into the online magazine industry and they started a fantastic, also rest in peace, um, online city magazine called Boston Sidewalk. And they kind of hired their way into the industry. Um, I got to work with um, editors from Yankee Magazine and the Boston Globe and the Boston Herald. Um, wonderful, mostly women, especially my the food editor. I started out as the assistant food editor there. And a year and a half later, they gave me that position. Um, and I just learned a ton from these, these veterans of the, the Boston journalism world who were just, I mean, the, the wisdom was, you know, um, a little overwhelming at first. And, and we just were really in this brave new world of being online writers. And that was when the internet was taking off. That was the early nineties and, or mid nineties, I guess at that point. And it was really exciting. And I was, I was going to, I was going to ask you when that was. So you must've always had confidence in your writing ability or else you wouldn't have been working for the times and the times wouldn't have had you working for them if you couldn't write. Did you always have a love of writing? Yes. I was a, just a, um, I would say rabid reader growing up and I loved writing. And I think, you know, writing got me through high school the way that, you know, sports get a lot of kids through high school. And um, it, it, it's always been something as much as I love cooking and eating, I love writing. Um, it's, it, it's therapeutic. It's, um, you know, you, you talk to writers all the time, you know what it is. It's, it's, it transports you. And um, I think makes you feel, um, it make it, it helps. It's such a self-discovery process. Um, and it's such a way that I think we can communicate with other writers and readers that we can't in, you know, everyday conversation. So, um, so let's, yeah. let's talk about the two cookbooks or what it's like to work with a chef. How how were the connections made for you to work with these uh, two chefs for these two cookbooks? Okay, so um, I'm going to back up quickly to Microsoft because that they ended up. I I did that for about five years um, and then ended up um, taking a job at Boston Magazine, running um, ah. you know their their a lot of their lifestyle section and ultimately their food section. 
Um, and through that, you know, I, I guess I, you just meet a lot of people and we, I, I would write about a lot of um, what chefs were doing that was interesting around town. And Henrietta's table um, is in the Charles Hotel in Cambridge. Um, and I got to know the people who worked there and they eventually said, we're doing a cookbook. You know, we like your writing. Would you be interested in writing it with Chef Peter Davis, who um, he and Dick Friedman had opened the, the um, at the Charles Hotel, Henry at a stable about 30 years ago now. Um, Peter Davis has since retired, but at the time when they opened it, um, it, you know, Henrietta's table, Henrietta is uh, the late pet pig of the owner of the Charles Hotel. Um, and it, it was really based on the idea of farm to table before farm to table was a buzzword everybody uses. And Peter Davis was absolutely, I was impressed with him and excited to work with him because he, he was a real deal. You know, it was, um, he knew all the farmers that he, you know, he goes out into, you know, into visits with them. Um, he knows them personally. He brings all, he was bringing all their food in and showcasing it in a way that was unusual back then in the restaurant. Well, in, I was going to say, in, um, in looking through the book, it's really impressive about how he features so many local farms, fisher, people who do fishing, oyster people from really all over New England, but especially around our local Boston area because his, his, uh, he was adamant about just do everything that's fresh. Don't like, you know, don't leave stuff in the refrigerator for a million years. Don't take frozen if you can get fresh. That was very, that's a very strong emphasis that's in there. So does he have his recipes written down and then you help like format them or is that done by him? Because I know there's a lot of commentary in both of the cookbooks. Mm -hmm. There's descriptions of the suppliers. Mm -hmm. There's always a description of you know, what the food is going to taste like if you make it correctly. And yeah. then it's the basic recipe with the ingredients. So what parts of that do you do? Right, right. So um, I should say it depends on um, this cookbook is different than the second cookbook that I did. Sometimes the chef will come to you and say, I want to do all the food. You just make me sound good. And so you, <laughs> you know, you, you rewrite what they say um, in the introduction, for example. That's not the way this worked and, and that's not the way I've worked so far in any of my the cookbooks. Um, in both cases, um, and especially with Peter, he, he said, I'm not a writer. I want you to interview me and um, tell, my, tell my story, tell my perspective. So we did that with the interview, um, or for, sorry, with the introduction. Um, and he's a fascinating man. So it was it was easy and fun. And um, he has a real I think he brings a very original perspective and again, unusual, especially at that time, 30 years ago. Um, and then he also said, I want you to test all the recipes. So I, I do a ton of recipe testing, which is where going to culinary school certainly comes in handy um, and loving to cook and um, loving to feed my family with all the you know, great stuff that you have to try out. Um, the purpose of that really is, you know, when you think about it, 
these chefs are cooking for hundreds of people every night. So the recipes that they are, they're trying to scale them down to serve four people or six people. Uh -huh. So I need to do it and make sure that, first of all, there are no mistakes. Um, and yes, I'm formatting them a lot of the time too, which is not the fun part, but it's important. Um, and I'm making sure that the proportions are right and that maybe there isn't way too much salt or, you know, that, um, th that it even just makes sense and is accessible to a home cook. So that so that's that's so much more work than I would would have anticipated. I mean, because this fresh and honest, this one, it not only I mean he, they cover everything you know, meat sides, a little bit of dessert, but there are so many descriptions in here. There's so many interviews. How long did this take you to do? This was about a year and a half. For this one and i did all these interviews with the farmers by the way and that was the my favorite part of the book because i learned so much from um some of this we think we know you know if you talk to an apple farmer you're going to learn maybe a little bit here and there but can i read to you one one part i think is please really cool. do i would love you to okay so this is um this is tom uh Jergelwitz. he raises ducks in long island on long island um and this is one of the the pieces that i I still remember to this day thinking, I never would have known that if I weren't writing this book. Um, so he raises these ducks. Uh, he's talking about why it's important when you're picking a duck to get, so you, I'm just gonna read to you. You should be able to look at the duck and see unblemished skin when you're picking it out. You wanna get a nice and crisp skin that doesn't tear or rip when you cook it and only ducks that are free range. And that's important because that means they have access to swim water. And when they swim, ducks preen themselves, which creates great oily skin glands and results in an oilier skin that cooks much better. So it gets crispier. So obviously we know you want a crispy skin if you're gonna cook a duck, duck breast, that's the, the you know gold standard, right? But the science of why and why it's important to, to take that extra step in when you're choosing, you know, what your product is going to be. Yeah. I think I find that fascinating. So um, I also loved, I love that part because I come from Long Island and I love the part at the end where he's when because you asked everybody, you had a kind of standard interview format. You asked these really great questions. And one of the last questions you asked in all the interview was like, what do you like to eat? Which is such a, a logical question. And this guy is like, oh, I like to eat duck. I love duck. I go to Chinatown. I bring home ducks duck. four times a week. I know. This was so incredibly wonderful and funny. So you really, your interviews, you know, I love interviewing and my family calls me the interrogator. But you were able to bring out such, um, you were really able to bring out the personality, not only of the chef, who, who was your partner in the book, but also of the providers. And um, I thought that was really remarkable. It's almost like, I don't, it's beyond a cookbook, like you said, it's, it's really just an exceptional piece of literature and writing. The photographs are beautiful. Oh my so gosh. Thank no, it's, Thank I, I will, I, oh. I will insert um, some pictures from the cookbook um, when I edit the episode. So that was the first one and what a great experience. And then your second one is called Simple Fancy. Yes. 
And this comes from, this was written with um, Jason Santos, who has some very popular restaurants here called uh, Buttermilk, Bourbon and Buttermilk or, or Buttermilk, buttermilk and, and Bourbon. And Yep. So and this was not as as detailed. It was more uh, specific to recipes and um, not there was I don't think there was much about providers in there. It was a different type of cookbook. It is. It is. Um, Jason is a big TV personality. He's on he's always on Hell's Kitchen um, and he is he's known he's on the CBS early show all the time. He, he does a lot of reality TV. He's this crazy, you know, he's not crazy, but he looks crazy. He's got blue hair um, and he's just a, um, a hilarious, foul-mouthed, kind-hearted, um, just, again, big personality guy. And, and his food mirrors that, you know, he's, he definitely cooks with gusto, lots of um, like bold flavors, lots of rich foods, um, comfort foods. I would say what the two cookbooks have in common even though they're very different in format and as you say, depth, um, in terms of where the food comes from, um, is that they're both very accessible. They are not fine dining per se. They're, they're very well executed, but um, easy to make for the home chef, a uh, home cook. You know, you don't, you don't have to go to culinary school to make any of this. And I, I love that these days because I feel like um, even though I appreciate a good fine dining meal here and there, and even though I went to culinary school for that, um, the sort of zeitgeist of where where food is at right now and where people's hearts lay is um, it's in it's in everyday food that is just really good, not you know pretentious anything. So it's interesting that um, fresh and honest, the Henrietta's Table cookbook what came out in 2008 and Simple Fancy came out in 2022. So there's a whole era of food and, and how much it changed during yep. that time period. Yep. Yep. Um, I think that's, that's a great observation because we really sort of went all the way up to like big concept um, and, and there's so many of them, like, but big concept, multi-million dollar, just, just to even get through the door to, to, you know, get a restaurant, a business proposal together. Um, and, and now we have a lot of little bistros and we have, you know, especially where I am in, in Portland, um, but certainly in Boston and New York too. I mean, just a lot of mom and pop places that are taking more chances and still doing adventurous, very personal food. Um, which I think in that respect, Peter Davis was really sort of ahead of his time. You know, he, he was never, so in the Charles Hotel at the time there was Rialto, which was Jody Adams' fine dining place, which is wonderful. Um, but was definitely more upscale than Henrietta's Table. But Henrietta's Table was, was churning out reliably, absolutely delicious foods that had, that came from, um, had sort of a different value to it. I think for people. Um, and now we're coming back to that. So we're, I'm afraid we're running out of time. So let me, my final question will be, what would be your, so it's going to be your turn to write your book at some point, hopefully. What, tell us more about what that, how you, uh, how you envision that book. Okay. So I know we talked before about, um, 
a more philosophical cookbook. Um, I do think whatever I do, the format is going to have to be part memoir, part recipe, because I think stories, food has so many stories and memories to it that in order to make it something more than just a substance and, and no matter how delicious that substance is, you, you need that humanity and that story um, along with it. And I think it makes for better reading anyway. But um, I, I have sort of turned my attention, especially with climate change being what it is, um, I'm really interested in regenerative agriculture and cooking based on just as I interviewed um, for this first cookbook for Peter Davis, all the farmers, um, looking at where our food comes from and how, how farmers grow it. I, I could talk for hours about this, but basically the idea that um, how you raise your pigs or how you raise, if you don't eat meat, how you raise um, your vegetables on a no-till farm versus a till farm um, mm. can either regenerate the soil or destroy the soil. And so I think if we, there are certain kinds of recipes that can capture that. And I think there's certain um, ways that we can think about our food, not only more about where it comes from and um, how to, how to uh, honor that in our cooking, but also, you know, food waste is enormous. And that, that folds right into how we cook. Can we cook things that we know we'll be able to make into leftovers that, so there won't be food waste, you know, three days later. So I have, um, and I, I have a title, which is a sustainable feast. Oh. Um, and that I'm working on. But like I said, it's just a matter of trying to find the time between all this other work, which is a wonderful problem to have. I was going to say that is that is kind of a good dilemma. That's I think that is all fascinating because when you look at the evolution of, you know, there's Henrietta's table who kind of started this all or was in the middle of the start of this all. And then you go through this this period we're in of influencers, celebrity chefs, TV cooking, food network, to come out the other end of that almost into really recognizing what has to change and what's important is, is uh, that's, that's quite an evolution that you've been through. And it sounds to me like you are really have the right ideas in mind and the right heart to, uh, to be successful with your book. So do you promise that when this book comes out, you'll come back on books too, even if I'm a hundred years old? <laughs> I'll be right behind you there. Um, yes, I cannot wait to do that because it'll happen. Okay, that's great. All right, um, Alex, Alex Hall, Alexander Hall, thank you so much for being with me on this My home pleasure. edition of Book Stew, our 111th episode. So uh, viewers and listeners, I hope you enjoyed um, this look at something that's new for me, and um, I'll put some information about the two cookbooks at the end of the episode. Thanks you for joining us, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you so much, Eileen.